This is Caroline. This is Paul. And this is Mike. Welcome to Conversations with Eliza, your after show podcast for Fox's TV show next. Tonight we're talking about Ale Number Five. It was written by A. Zell Williams and directed by Amanda Marsalis. It's a relief not having to decode the titles of these episodes. It's refreshing. I was going to be cute and say, I'm next and we're going to do great things together. <laughs> What'd you guys think of this one? Uh, lots of plot movement here. We had the aftermath of the bomb. Oh, before we get started, guys, I, sh I should tell our listeners, you should definitely stick around because at the end of this episode, we have an interview with Eve Harlow, Gina herself, who played a, a nice role tonight with her and CM in the hospital. I'm so excited that we got to talk about CM's total like rise from the ashes there and uh, and get some more deets on Gina and CM's relationship. So you guys definitely stick around. Yeah, we got some nice movement in this episode towards maybe a, a will they, won't they? You know, we, we've talked already a bunch of how she kind of stares at him like like she she's she's this is in not him. about romance, Mike. Well, she's they are co-workers who are working together. Okay. But, <laughs> I mean, she, she stares at him like he repulses her, but at the same time, kind of, you know, kind of like uh, Leia and Han Solo at the beginning of their relationship. You he know? is a scoundrel. He is a scoundrel, mm. but she's also kind of like, you know, he got that big dick energy and she may be feeling that. So I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> big dick energy. It's a total vibe. It's a total vibe they have. I mean, he may not say it stands for chick magnet, but we know. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not talking about the hospital because we're going to cover that in the interview. So let's start tonight with Ted. Ted gets an early Christmas present when he's at his lowest of lows. What did you guys think of this uh, big development? Can I mention that whenever Ted's on screen or someone mentions Ted, I think back to that old 80s song, I Want to Be a Cowboy. Do you remember that song? Tell me more. There's I'm a, just thinking of the Kid Rock song, I Want to Be a Cowboy. No, nah, this is that, older than that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, go on. What about it? There's a part where it's like a narrative. It's kind of it's kind of a ballad, if you will, where they tell the story of wanting to be a cowboy. And uh, there's a part where the where the where the kind of the backup singers go, Ted, oh Ted, fighting off danger. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And that's what you think of every time you see Ted on the screen? Yeah, but th there's nothing about our Ted that has anything to do about fighting off danger. He's, he's in fact, no. welcoming danger in, yeah. the, in his life. He's looking for trouble. I mean, the only danger he has fought off is the payphones of, of uh, right. his town. He gave right. him a good beating. Is, yeah, I'm sure the other payphones have passed notes to each other. They'll be on the lookout for Ted. They were like this. Beep, boop, boop, beep. That means beware of Ted. Did you, did you guys pick up on the vibe? And is it possible that this guy who is a multi multi-millionaire, maybe even a billionaire, whose wife then has to be some level of sophisticate also, doesn't yet know that her husband has been fired? It's on the cover of like every fucking magazine, apparently in print and newspaper. And yet she's like, honey, you're gonna give him what for? You're you're in the right. Bah. But I totally got the vibe that she doesn't know yet that he has actually been fired or is about to be formally fired. 
Did you guys get that vibe too? What I got was that they had talked some about it, but he wasn't letting on exactly how bad it was. Like headline of the Wall Street Journal kind of bad. Yeah. I thought that she wasn't really picking up on any of the obvious things. Like he seemed pretty worked up when they when he was in the office and being like, everything's fine. There was like sweat trickling down his face. Like before. I, yeah. I know it was like airplane yeah. though, when he's like trying to fly the plane, there's like gushing sweat. It was like, um, <laughs> this yeah. is not believable, Ted. Yeah, if he had said he had a drinking problem and threw a glass into his forehead, I would have believed it at <laughs> exactly. that point. He was out of sorts for sure. <laughs> Cara, this guy runs the like the cuttingest edge tech company in the world, and he's gonna do himself in via carbon monoxide poisoning in his in his car in the garage. That's a little cliche, Ted LeBlanc. No, it was a, a spooky thing for me because a house that I lived in in the past when I was a kid, the previous owner had actually killed themselves that way on um, that exact way. So it really creeped me out to see that happening. And then also because I had lived in a house like that and I had the creeps, I had done my research to know that catalytic converters had actually made it much more difficult to do that to yourself. And so I already knew that fact. And so when I was watching this, I was like, I wonder why they picked this method, because this would take a lot longer due to the catalytic converter of 1974. <laughs> and I already knew. <laughs> right. And he's driving a, a high-end car. You imagine he probably drives one of the least carbon emission-y I cars agree. out there. I can't even yeah. believe it wasn't a hybrid and stuff, electric, something. So yeah. I was kind of like, huh. Is this very realistic that this is how he would do it? However, Ted is a coward, and this is one of the most like cowardly ways. It is. I was watching with Tom because he was in the room, and I was like, "Listen, I gotta watch this, and we're getting ready to record." And and he's like, "Why? What is he doing?" And I said, "Well, this is a coward's way that sometimes people kill themselves." Which is a terrible, ugly way to say that. I know it is, but it it is. It's like a painless way to do it, if you will. Right, right, exactly. It's the you know, it's the long sleep. You don't feel it coming, right? But he didn't have a hose going from his catalytic converter into his window like you're really leaving a lot of stuff up to chance here ted i don't think you're really committed to this effort he wasn't half-hearted we're probably being a little flip with suicide but ted is a piece of shit so i feel less bad about it i guess well we're talking about a character here true and And one we don't care about yeah i mean right who's not a good guy i mean by all accounts it's not a good guy his wife's in the house he's 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 pumping that gas yeah good call on that he could blow up the whole friggin' house with her inside (laughs) he doesn't care yeah, he's a little selfish. He's a little selfish. All of that being said, I'm not going to lie. I got super excited when and I was waiting for it when Next started to kind of come alive, you know, turned off the car, turned on, you know, took over like the, you know, the interactive you know system on the dash. I got very excited because I was waiting for it. Right. I mean, obviously, Next is like not done with Ted LeBlanc yet. This is the guy. The guy is made to be a patsy for an artificial intelligence system. And uh, I wasn't disappointed. As he's walking away, and we could see the different panels lighting up, kind of indicating that he's being tracked, whether or not he was a, a target for next. And we discussed it for a second. And in the moment, I had not considered the idea that he would be a very able-bodied puppet for next. You know, he's got the resources, and he's got people at his command he's much more valuable alive to next than the dead at this point sure i mean the devil you know right and and you know next is a judge of character on some level even if it's a, if even if it's on like a zeros and ones computer like cold computer level next is making value judgments on people it knows where it can exploit them so it knows the board at zava but it also knows 
whatever insecurities and weaknesses that Ted LeBlanc has as compared to his brother. It's definitely a devil you know situation. Like next, next definitely wants a, a Ted LeBlanc running Zaba that it can control and feed information to for its for his enemies versus some new unknown that they may install. You know, what if they go get like a really squeaky clean person who's got a conscience and a more and you know some morality? I thought it was actually a nice symbiotic uh, relationship. When it says I'm next and we're going to do great things together, I kind of did a fist pump. I actually got really excited. So <laughs> it, it almost feels. In some ways, you could you could kind of shoehorn this story into a prequel to Westworld. Do tell. Just the concept of of the computer uh, having some intelligence and collecting information on people and having a a ones and zeros concept of what people are and what they're going to do in Westworld. They wanted to influence what people did, kind of kind of put them in boxes we don't really know next uh end game here so this is like a proto rehoboam kind of thing potentially it seems like it has kind of a bigger scope than that but we don't know yet i can't shake off the idea you know the drop from last week paul standing in the uh you know the the late uh fbi agent mathis's office and talking about you know wiping out engineering the perfect virus and wiping out humanity just too chilling for me i think in 2020 and a little too real feeling it's just seeing what it's capable of doing and its resources i mean the fucking thing gets an apartment by the end of the episode like you know it's fantastic it's paid its utilities it's got it probably has cable somewhere first and last month (laughs) the way that it can just fill bank accounts is so I just fall on the floor because I know that it's just numbers in a computer. So everything is is like that when it comes to banking these days. But it's still like when when the election was happening on election day, my dad was like, take out some cash, blah, 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 making all this big deal. Because the idea that like something could happen and just take all those numbers out of the computer is like, ah, like he wanted to have like cold, hard cash in his hand. Yeah. It's amazing. And also, I kind of want to be like, who can just put more numbers in my bank account? <laughs> right, it's just right. numbers. Just, right. just change what, the numbers. What AI system out there is, you know, available for me to be who friends with? Who can I get with? <laughs> Alexa. Alexa, do you have access to, num- to bank accounts? Alexa, account put one? more numbers in my bank account. <laughs> it's the opposite of the end of Fight Club. You, you don't want to wipe out the debt. You just rather take all the money. Yes. <laughs> yes. Always. Where Ted has his conversation with next off screen and clearly gets all of the dirt on the other board members. And he, he, he appears at Zaba for the board meeting where he's supposed to be fired and then flips on his head. Did he sound like a guy who had just found religion to you? You know, the, 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 talking about talking about what would be possible with next, and he's talking. He's trying to sell Serena on the whole idea. What he could have yelled though? like "Be healed" and like knock people back in their seats. Right, right. <laughs> Gave out like mouse pads and like you know, like yes. uh, you know, free mice to people. And but I like, mean, yeah. how exhilarating would? understanding that you had this information flow really be like you could get whatever you want and you had like this most powerful computer in the world on your side feeding you information wouldn't you feel like the the Mm -hmm. like overboard when he's up at the wheel and he's like i am a god at sea yeah it's it's like uh do you remember root from person of interest how she had the the earpiece that did make her basically godlike for as long as the machine could see where she was and what she was doing. I wonder if Ted could get into that kind of shape, you know, like in his mind. Cause root, if you remember was like you said, 
a zealot, kind of like she found the religion, her religion was the machine, and she was a firm believer and evangelist for her church. You could see Ted kind of going that direction, but not quite as charmingly so as as Root. I mean, he's essentially proselytizing to Serena at the end of the episode, who I think I, we, I want to talk about in a second because I think she's going to be an interesting question mark. But yeah, he sounds like a guy who not only has found his savior, literal savior. I mean, he was he was choking on carbon monoxide poisoning this morning, and now he's back running Zava again in a comfortable position. Everything about him says he will give himself fully over to this machine for the comforts that it will provide him. To do it. I mean, he is a willing patsy if ever there was one. Uh, what did you guys think of Serena's reaction when she sees, you know, next swank apartment space, uh, you know, the empty room where the, the lone server uh, sits? Is she is she as as convinced? Is she converted into this new religion of next? Or is she maybe going to be more of a moralist and, and maybe have questions like Paul had, which ultimately backed him out of the company. Her look on her face, to me, looked like someone that had just come unmoored from the reality that she was comfortable with. That actually gave me a little bit of hope for like maybe the long run. But in the short term, I really don't have any doubt that she's going to fall in line with her boss and do do what he asks. But he's going to start to ask to do some crazy shit, you know? That's just kind of how this kind of stuff goes um maybe even obviously hurt people kind of shit you know yeah she was already raising alarm bells though standing amidst you know the the dead and carnage at biomotion when she was up there you know she her her red line is already kind of reaching it it seems what do you think caroline is uh is serena in for the long haul here or is she gonna get uh, cold feet you think i think it'd be more fun if she goes all in because, you know, Ted is kind of like this wild card, you know, like you guys said, he seems to have like found his Jesus. So in that case, it's it feels like it would be more fun if he if there was like a sidekick to continuously kind of question him and like give him grief and whatnot, because otherwise he's just kind of like on a rampage. The Dwight to his Michael Scott. A little bit. The Shmi to his Captain Hook. <laughs> Would you rather her go with Ted or not? More fun or not more fun? I mean, more fun, right? Who doesn't like seeing people just be like their best villain selves that they can be? But I think story-wise, it would be more delicious for this lieutenant who he has put blind faith in to ultimately betray him. But for a good reason, you know, from his point, it will be a betrayal. From our point, it will be her, you know, doing the right thing uh, and fi- finding the right Jesus, as well, it were. What was the so. woman's name in in Austin Powers? The woman who's like in the leather, Dr. Evil's like oh, woman. Oh, Frau Forbissena? Her. <laughs> she could be her. <laughs> to his Dr. Evil. I love it. She's wearing leather. She's got red lips going. She just suits that she is very fashionable as as far as tech henchmen go i think serena is pretty fashionable she's dressed so. too cool to not go for villain no come on she could jump on the back of a motorcycle at some point it'd be kind of rad god willing we'll see that happen 
Uh, anyway, yeah, so I Ted, Ted, you know, Ted is started this episode about as low as you could be and it kind of ends at about as high as you can go, you know, or maybe not as high as you can go, but definitely on the upswing. In the villain's world, this is as high as you go. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't think he's done doing next bidding. Now Now that they have formally teamed up, so far he's spent the first part of the season that we've seen him trying to get next back, right? Trying to find next after it escaped their lab at Zava. Now he knows where next is. Now now next is it basically has him on the payroll, so it's going to be I think next leveling for his villainy. You know he'll now actually get to do the bill now because you know next is the brains right, so he'll get to finally just do the 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 leg man work for next. You know his brain power. Well, and now instead of just sort of having the big brother little brother rivalry aspect to their relationship, now they actively have something between them where Paul wants to find next and go office space on it. And then, and now Ted is going to be basically it's guardian keeping Paul off the scent, maybe even who knows having to deal with Paul in some way. If once Paul gets his, his bearings again. So that's kind of new twist on the brothers that don't like each other very much. Now they're actually adversaries. Yes, they are. And it also, I think gives Ted, at least from his vantage point, finally a real solid leg up on his brother. You know, he has lived in the shadow of the genius of Paul LeBlanc for so long, even after Paul was asked from the company, but they never got next to, to, to the level where Ted could have crowed about his achievements. Now he'll finally get to exercise real power and dominion over Paul in, in a way that has never been before. So it's a real shifting of the power balance between them. So it'll be interesting to see because, you know, he he's the exact kind of guy who's who's going to misuse and abuse that power. Right. You know, you, you don't want to put power in the hands of people who actually want the power, you, you know, because they can't be trusted with it. Ted is like, gimme, 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 gimme. And now he has it. So that's that's a dangerous combination. Speaking of Paul, what did we think of Paul and Abby? They were on a very kind of family reunion journey. This is the most time I think we've seen them spend together this entire series so far. What was your 10,000 foot take, Paul, on their uh, relationship and uh, how it how it was going this episode? 10,000 foot take is that ultimately he needs to come clean with what he's going through much sooner and much cleaner than he's doing. He's going to have this business with the hallucinations, you know, the car chasing them, who who knows if that was real or not. It's going to get them hurt or very nearly hurt. And he's going to come out and need to say, by the way, I'm kind of losing my mind. And, you know, it's genetic. And it's going to be much worse than, than if he had just shared it in, in a quiet moment that they still had the penthouse, you know. Ultimately, that was my big take, was that he's losing his chance to have this news delivered in this, in a soft way. Yeah, I mean, it got the tension got, you know, so extreme. I mean, obviously, that was that was a, a really difficult scene with him, like yelling at her and her backing up and crying and everything. Yeah. That was painful to watch that it had to get to that point before it was finally like, are you sick? Like, do you have, a you know, an issue you're dealing with right now? Like it it got bad. I mean, I think that you're right. They, they should have had lunch <laughs> and explained his illness rather than have it, you know, grow to this level. 
Right. Like get some uh, room service. You know, might, he might remember talk. that she yeah. liked chocolate ice cream or something. Oh, and that would have like, been so nice. <laughs> you've already taken out the chairman's suite for three weeks uh, and, and bought uh, and bought, you know, thousand dollar sunglasses. So that was you know. so funny. The visual of him wearing those sunglasses. I laughed so loud. <laughs> I was like, I love him so much. He's Roger Sterling to me forever. And when I saw him, I was like, Roger, you scamp. I have in my notes here twice, Paul, just tell her already, like with asterisks on both sides of them. It was getting frustrating. I completely agree with your take, Paul, too. Like it's because it does make it painful and it is only going to continue to ratchet up and make it harder and harder for it to come out. I agree with you, Caroline. I thought that was maybe the best John Slattery acting I've seen in a really long time. Uh, I mean, he was kind of completely in that moment, and I thought it was terrifying. I thought he was going to either hit her or, like, throw her out the window. Seemed like he was going to push her, and then she was going to actually fall over backwards or something. Yeah, because he, he was driving her towards the window. I thought mm-hmm. she was going out there. I thought, I was like, oh, shit. Halfway through the season, this is what's going to happen, and there's no coming back. This is going to break him. He is going to kill his daughter in some fit of hallucinogenic, paranoid rage. It's and- intriguing to me, though, that her response and her yelling dad snapped him out of it because that's not the way it works for say alzheimer's like you can't yell it out of the person you can't react it out of the person someone who's actually hallucinating you can't break them of that so i was kind of surprised that it worked you know i thought maybe she'd run into the other room because it was a large penthouse place but the fact that just yelling at him did snap to attention was kind of like i guess i don't really understand this illness that he has but maybe it's because that's what their dynamic is. That's the way she speaks to him. And so maybe it wasn't that, you know, it was this loving daughter all of a sudden yelling at her father, but it was Abby. I mean, that's how she communicates to him, right? Because that's up until now, he hasn't been a great dad. So she's only been able to communicate to him through loud yelling and and really over the top words. So maybe it was actually more familiar than anything else. Like it brought him back to the here and now that she wasn't some spy stealing the hard drive, that she wasn't compromised. Not like, oh, this is my daughter who yells at me because I'm a shitty father. Oh, I recognize her. I know where I am now, you know, kind of bringing her back to earth. Or it's been so long since she has shown anything other than indifference toward him that a strong emotion like that was, like Caroline said, snapped him out of it because it was like, Holy, holy shit! I, I I must be doing something way out of the ordinary because she normally is just like piss off, Dad. Right. It's just it's yeah. just interesting. Like again, I don't know enough about this illness, and so I don't have a clue if it's that type of thing that that you have. There's any amount of being able to come out of it. Like you you can't familiarly yell at someone having a seizure and they come out of it. Like a medical issue is a medical issue, and if that's what he was having, it's interesting that yelling at him could stop it. I'm just curious of how that will play out. They haven't shown these to be terribly long, prolonged hallucinations, though, either. True. So it it may have been a combination of it already kind of coming to an end after a period of time, together with a loud stimulus. You know, she could have been like, fire! And maybe at that point, because it had gone on for so long, it would would have brought him back too. I don't know. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see how it progresses. If it's something that, you know, shoot, if that's what gets him out of it, then record Abby yelling and put it on a tape recorder and play it at him anytime he starts going into these rants. You know, like if if that's the 
if that's the secret sauce to, to make him be able to stop. The progression is interesting that you bring that up because I was thinking about it at the end of this episode. Is it actually getting worse since the show has started or has it actually just been consistently bad since the show has started? Because I, I think back to like the first episode and he was imagining guys who weren't there, you know, dark suited guys kind of coming after him. Uh, they weren't there. And that was like in the first episode. And, and every episode has featured some kind of questionable incident, whether or not we were fully aware or 100% sure it wasn't real. There definitely was a vibe that maybe it wasn't real. So I, I don't know. Is it is it progressing? Do you think it's actually getting worse through the first five episodes or is or is the show starting at a point where it's already really bad and it's and it's just continuing to be really bad? For me, it wouldn't make sense for it to get measurably quote unquote worse over these days because they're consecutive days pretty much, right. you know? Right. True. Mm -hmm. So I think you're onto something where we've already caught him like six months into his year's prognosis. Right. And so mm -hmm. it's already happening every day, at least in, to yeah. some extent. And I only use the word progressive because that was the wording that they used when they described the, illness said that it was progressing like really quickly for him and so that i'm just curious to see you know remember the ticking time clock that manny Cotto put on it it's not it's no fun if the clock just is ticking along at its merry way like it's a ticking time clock like right. it's, it's got to skip beats feel every so like often, it gets right? faster it should feel that way it's like one of those you, you like uh when the clock is ready to strike midnight and it kind of shakes and shakes and never actually hits midnight. But I, I picked up on your use of progressive only because that's the TV trope, right? You, you have one season and in a show, unfortunately, it looks like we're only going to have one season. And and so in a, a, the typical TV trope, it would start at some point and it would maybe preternaturally get worse and worse and worse by maybe episode six or seven. You know, you know he's having full on Demogorgons chasing him down the street kind of hallucinations. You know, but it hasn't really been that. It's been the same kind of level of bad. And so I, I just another way that I think the show actually tends to buck the obvious TV trope and the obvious choice um, the way other shows would do it. And I think it's just a good feather in the cap. Um, but when you have John Slattery, I think you can do stuff like that. You can play the material without it having to be outlandish because I think he's just so that good. Speaking of his condition, I think we can all agree that Paul LeBlanc should not be driving a car, especially should not be driving a car at night, taking us to the end of the episode. But my question for you guys is, is that car following him that's maybe going to get him killed, you know, in a, in a head on in a head on collision? Is that car chasing him real or imagined? Oh, gosh, probably imagined. <laughs> but at the same time, he was very cognizant of that camera at the check in at the um, hotel lobby. Like he looked right up at it. So to me, I feel like there, this was almost like one of those things like waiting for somebody to start chasing them because like he knew it was coming. So whether or not he is like imagining it happening or whether it's really happening, I feel like it was like it's going to happen. It's part of his plan, though, right? He, he does the big charge at the hotel. He makes lets his face be shown. He turns the TV on TVs on uh, and, and makes a scene of it. And he says that step one is to create a digital footprint. So it's almost like he's he's trying to draw next out to mm -hmm. them to to you know pull next out of the woodwork. So I'm not sure I'm not sure what stage of the plan then getting in the car and fleeing. Maybe it's because he's calling calling an audible because he freaked out on Abby so hard. 
uh, that he's actually maybe changing his plan versus what he had planned on doing. Well, that well, he didn't... No, I thought it was because she turned on the phone and and not like because all that happened, right? Like that was a little more that wasn't his plan. Well, I think the the penthouse was just a pit stop that 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 was I think you that... think they stayed there as long as they had planned on staying there because it looked like they were kind of hanging out there for a while. I thought originally I thought they were going to kind of come in, do the charge, and then like leave right away. But then they kind of came back to it and it looked like they were kind of hanging out, watching TV, kind of enjoying the suite for a little while. So then I wasn't sure what the plan was, how long they were planning on staying there. You yeah, know? I think it was always a short layover with the idea that they were creating the footprint that they would be there for weeks, right? And keep next busy on thinking about that for at least it probably wouldn't last all three weeks but at least it would give him some cover that's what makes me think that the car is in his mind it never got really close enough where you could see anything besides the the headlights or it's just a car you know sometimes yeah. you know sometimes a car is just a car and, and and you know sometimes a car is just behind you on the road and it's not nefarious um my my, my leaning my gut instinct is also it is a paranoia incident that it's not the car it's just a car you know um but yeah i mean obviously we're gonna have to wait till next week my feeling is that they're probably heading to the lake house right to to join up with the salazars which is a perfect segue to the salazars how did we not talk about this last week you guys I feel like we had every puzzle piece on the table and we were all like moving our hands closer to one another. And then we're like, see you next week. But we like never connected the pieces. I kind of feel like I need to hand in my TV viewing pop culture. No, enthusiast, we're not going to uh, be that you know, harsh you know, like, on us. No, I feel kind of like I like I was like looking for a dunce cap at the end of this episode. I was like, of course, Nacio is the father. Jesus Christ. What did you think, though? But what did you think of the reveal? When he turns around, we see the Calvary Hill tattoo sticking out of his neck. I loved it. I was like, oh, it was a great little thrill for me. What did you think, Paul? Was it a well-earned twist? Yeah, it was. I, I felt the same way as you guys, just that I had missed a very obvious connection. I guess the, the tattoo, the gun, how sweet he was to the kid and all that kind of stuff. This is a twisted I think it was guy. hard to believe, though, because and why I'm going to give us a little bit of room is that it he had just been on the airplane and we were led to believe that this cabin right. was really far out of the way. I mean, we had Ethan and Ty driving for a very long time and he was already like there when they got to the cabin. So timeline wise, I don't know that we're dunces. I mean, yeah. how did that happen? You guys? I think that's well, because he, but he kind of describes that literally the itinerary from the Honduran jail to the cabin was all waiting for him. He just needed to go pick it up. And that's okay, so but he, you get what I mean, though. Like, Ty and Ethan have been driving for, like, some time. I think that's why I didn't pick up on it also. I think timeline-wise, because we we clearly said he's a bad guy. He was too friendly. He's a big-name guest star. You don't bring him on for some, you know, gentle Ben role. You know, David Zayas is a guy. He always kind of plays like a villain, you know, and, and a great one. So I think we were dead on picking up that this guy is bad news, but I think I was thinking more like henchman of next and not 
Shay's father come home to roost. One hundred percent. That is exactly how I thought. I thought he was just one more guy. Like I think I equated him to the to the computer gambler. That he was just one more guy who's being manipulated. But I didn't put him into, which, you know, technically wasn't wrong. <laughs> I mean, he is another guy being manipulated by next. But timeline wise, I'm I'm sorry. I I think that oh, like, that was. L- l- let me solve it for you. Consider that perhaps the jailbreak was out of time with relation to the episode it was shown in. Perhaps it was actually a week before in, in real time. But how long has this whole time? Okay, how long has this entire next situation been happening? Only a couple of days. Well, we don't totally know. I think we're within a two week period of the start. Okay, so you're saying that maybe he got out back when the initial car accident of the first guy that Shay runs across and gets involved with, like the prison was happening like way back then. Perhaps, yeah. Maybe the moment that Shay's name got attached to the um, investigation. Maybe maybe next has has some kind of dirt on any and all federal agents that it just can mobilize when it needs to when someone gets in its way. Right. I mean, I'm I'm open and I will like leave it to that. But as an audience member who's watching the episodes in order, the information was given to me, not in a way that we're jumping in time. That's fair. I mean, right. nothing else has been shown to me out of time well, that the, I'm aware. The plane crash didn't happen like the second before they talked about it. But it was like cold open. The prison break wasn't. It was at the end of an episode. I'm just saying it's misleading. I, I think I think if we allow 48 hours of time from when we see the prison break to last week's episode, which just based on the fact that Ty and Ethan had that whole ordeal trying to get to the cabin between the Amber Alert and stealing multiple different cars, which was interesting that they brought up the car being impounded 15 miles from the cabin today. Like that was, that was a little piece of nugget of information that they, that they dropped that Ben tells Shay about. I think if we can, if we, if we can give 36 to 48 hours between that jailbreak to when we see him fixing the pipes at the cabin, I buy that because he kind of like Ted LeBlanc was not going to lift, look a gift horse in the mouth. He walked into money, like, you know, extra numbers in his bank account. He walked into new papers. He walked into tickets. He had a very, that's a very long plane ride to research everything you need to know about the place where you're going and, and the stuff you need to know about. And we know he was looking at pictures of the family, so he'd be able to identify Ethan and Ty. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it maybe stretching it a little bit, but I think it's definitely doable. It's within, it's not like a, a Game of Thrones final season crossing <laughs> Westeros level of teleportation, not not nearly so. Maybe, so. maybe he just took that well-known uh, direct Honduras to Portland flight. <laughs> right. Listen, Honduran air, don't fuck around. And excuse I mean, me, they... as someone who has traveled to Portland, remind me, didn't we drive for quite some time? That's because we flew to SeaTac, because flying to Portland was expensive and, and difficult, and the point is. is. Yeah, but I mean, who's not to say that Next didn't have like a helicopter waiting for him? Next has unlimited resources. And all we, that's we... okay, but we have to spin a quite a tale to make it happen. So all I'm saying is that we can't sit here and be like, it was so obvious. How did we not see it? But then caveat, caveat, caveat. All these things had to fall into place. I think the show wanted, I mean, the reason that the show zooms in on that too, too, that tattoo 
is because it wants you to be like, oh, fuck, yeah, of course. Because, because yeah. you know, there there's a saying that the best time to bring something you introduced early on back is the second your audience has forgotten about it. And I, and I think that was kind of the masterstroke of it. I don't think we're the only ones sitting there. I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of people that were like, oh, my God, I saw it. And by the way, you know, I went back to the episode of The Jailbreak and I did like a frame by frame of the jailbreak scene to see if we ever actually see the person's face. And there is one scene where you see it's blurry because it's from a zoomed out security camera angle where you see the face of the inmates leaving the jail but it's not nearly clear enough to be like oh yeah clearly that's david zayas we should obviously have known that even with doing a frame by frame i don't think it was actually him at all i think they're relying on it being kind of zoomed out and blurry yeah i i think the show wanted it to be a big reveal and then think back and be like oh of course like we weren't thinking about that we had just forgotten about it and then the show revealed it to us which is you know kind of a masterstroke. i really enjoyed that so I have my own feelings about it. What was your feeling when Shay walks into the cabin, sees him, and the temperature kind of physically drops in the room? And and all of the veins in her neck begin to pop and her eyes kind of bulge, bug way out of her head. Caroline, what did you think when she sees him? Did that did that scene work for you? I well, I questioned a whole lot what I would do. Now, she has the benefit of FBI training. So that's something that I can't relate to. I have no idea how she has those nerves of steel. I I did actually do the exercise of like, how would I be negotiating this situation if I walked in and saw someone who I knew to be a danger and of course my father sitting at the table with with my men here i mean i think she played it as well as she possibly could i think i would have froze i think i i don't i think i would have shown my hand like i think i would have just stood there and been like uh 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 dad <laughs> like i don't think i would i don't think i would have played it as cool ideally you'd have been like i forgot something in the car <laughs> i could i did kind of expect a ty can i talk to you outside but i guess you don't want to leave ethan alone yeah, I guess that's right. So, you know, for having not been familiar with Fernanda before this show, I'm always marveled, I guess, at at the people that can do body type acting. And she did some stuff like with her face and like Caroline mentioned with her neck and just her overall body that she may never actually get full credit for in terms of like her peers or awards or anything like that. But for not having heard of her before, that's some pretty good shit, right? Yeah. Yeah. It looked mm-hmm. like they had given her like, you know, dog shit covered with a lemon and just said, try to keep it in your mouth. And, and, and that was a face. Like she kind of had like welling up eyes and like a look on her face. Like there was something terrible in there. The dog shit. Yeah, the trembling, all that stuff was was just like, come on, Ty, like, aren't you <laughs> keying in on, on Shay's reaction here at all? Right, he doesn't pick up on it, and he doesn't see the fucking snub nose sitting in this guy's waistband. It's not like that shirt was super long, because as soon as he reaches up to get a pot out of, like, a top shelf, you could see, like, the gun tucked in his waistband. Ty doesn't. Ty is like a like a with it kind of guy. He doesn't happen to notice this very very friendly man that you don't know when a supercomputer is chasing you, trying to kill you. Aren't you suspicious of everyone until you know their great grandmother? At you know at some and, point, and you would think, like you said, like your wife walks in and does like a do yo yo like face, <laughs> and you and you don't be like, hey honey, does your bell bell hurt? What's the matter? Something like, with your tongue, tongue. <laughs> exactly. 
exactly. <laughs> like something's amiss. And, and it is odd that they would have been together for so long. And he picks up on nothing here. I Odd. Because she was conveying it to us perfectly. When you make the dog yeah. shit face, I'm like, what's wrong? Yeah. Right? I think, see, funny enough, when I make the dog shit face and we're amongst mixed company... <laughs> and I'm making the dog shit face as if to say, I'm not going to say this out loud. What do you actually do? You audibly go, what? What is it, Caroline? <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm making the dog shit face. If I wanted to say, I'm having a problem right now. <laughs> Everyone yeah. take note. Maybe, maybe If I'm making the dog shit face, don't yell out, what is it, Caroline? <laughs> Because Caroline's dead hot durad father has come back from the grave and is standing in your kid's kitchen. Play it cool. It, Play yeah, it cool. If He's I'm keeping it cool. And making, yeah, and making dinner for your 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 husband and son. <sighs> yes. That's what Caroline is conveying. I'm trying. Also, Caroline, I'm we trying. all need to talk when we get off the air. You have a fucked up <laughs> family history that we need to talk about. <laughs> right, exactly. I'm making the dog shit face right now. Don't ask me what the problem is right now. <laughs> Caroline has a gun tucked in her own waistband. Oh my God, it's just right here in my underwear. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I I agree with you, Paul. I think Fernanda Andrade played that scene amazing. It, I, like, it was visible, like, drop in temperature. And it was great. And it was exactly kind of what you wanted. And I love the idea of the cat and mouse. And it kind of rolls into the next scene for me, which may be my favorite scene of the series so far, where Ty is being super fucking chatty. I was wondering if he was drunk or high, but he doesn't drink because we learned their story. I mean, he's going through, like, their whole family history. It's like, yeah, I was at a meeting. She was there supporting a friend. We started talking. Like, okay, I, I love the exposition. I'm learning this. But does Nacio, the handyman from next door, need to know your entire love life and history? You know, we conceived Ethan on this day, and it was, you know, 1139 at night, and it was fantastic. <laughs> the face my wife's making right now, she usually makes that when some weird shit's happening. Ever since she joined the FBI, every time exactly. there's danger around, she makes she makes that face. I don't know what maybe she saw a dog or something she didn't like. I gotta tell you, Tom was watching it. Like I said he was watching this with me. As soon as I explained to him what was happening, he go he smacks his forehead and he goes, "Why did she leave her gun in the car?" He was so mad at her for leaving her gun in the car. <laughs> nice. I said, "I agree with you. I, I agree think, with you." I, I think the rules in this world would be never. Leave your gun. Why would you going leave to the your bathroom? Gun? Take your yeah. gun. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's the rule now. Always have the gun. I agree. What did you think of not only the conversation and and looking back on it, David Zayas's performance as Nacio and talking about the family leaving him and going to pursue their own thing, uh, but looking back and how he was treating Ethan and 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 trying to teach him things like the fishing lesson this episode, and then they're escalating Spanish. Did that set a whole mood for you, Caroline? Were you like sucked in, leaning forward, uh, watching watching the tension grow here? Or were you more like Ethan? Like, I don't know what's happening. So we have a second language in our household, sign language. And so there have been times when I'm trying to convey something that I don't want anyone else to know. And it does certainly ratchet things up. <laughs> so I, I thought it was it was amazing. And I thought that the way that they kind of had already tested the waters by having Nacio ask, like, hey, how's your Spanish? <laughs> you know, and then he's the one that prompts mm -hmm. talking in Spanish. I mean, fascinating. And then Ty's like, why are we talking in Spanish? <laughs> no. yeah. Why are we talking in Spanish? And then begins to talk in Spanish himself. Yeah. yeah. And he's, like, he's like, oh, shit, I know Spanish. I know what you guys are saying. Yeah. 
Uh, that was yeah. the funny thing. For whatever reason, when when the father started speaking Spanish and Shay spoke back, I thought my fir- my initial thought was these were the only two that were going to speak Spanish. So then when when Ty does start speaking Spanish, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Like, that really made me laugh, actually. Yeah, he was just really slow on the whole uptake. He was yeah. still, like, daydreaming about when they conceived Ethan and then their first date and stuff. He, he, it took him a second. Like, come on, Ty, get there. How get fun there, fishing buddy. was. Yeah, and how he's like, look at this fish that my son this caught. I'm very proud delightful. of him. Yeah, Masio, you are a hell of, It's like, you know, you learn, you watch those mafia movies where the guys learn how to cook at prison. You know what? This tastes you know? just like the fish when my wife makes it. <laughs> uh, passed down for, I want to give us a little hat tip or a little pat on the back because we said from the very first episode these two Shay and Ty felt like there was something off in their relationship something about their relationship felt strained or felt like there was some kind of tension the idea that ty has thought all of this time that they've been together that her father was dead not knowing he's been in a honduran jail really i think kind of revealed and pulled back a curtain to a certain extent on how much about shay ty actually doesn't know uh and i I thought that was an interesting reveal without it being an obvious reveal uh, what did you think of the escalating tension around the dinner table, Paul? I thought it was a really effective build that showed us that Nacio is a is a very smart guy, and he controlled that escalation one stair step at a time. So it's kind of terrifying what he has in mind for Ethan in that that he did care to get him out of the way before the, the shit actually started hitting the fan in in droves. Let's talk about Ethan. Were you were you surprised cuz I think I was a little bit that his end game is that he wants to raise Ethan as the quote unquote uh the yeah. son I should have had. Gross. That kind of surprised me as the end game here. It wasn't like pure revenge. It was revenge via I'm going to take your son and raise him as my own. I've already been grooming him. That line of like what when we had that interview with Fernanda and she said, this is where next has no mercy. Right. And now she knew where this was all going. This is next level shit. Like this wasn't just coming to terrorize her, but to take her kid. Holy crap that I didn't see that coming at all. How about you, Paul? Were you surprised that that was the end game here? For sure. Yeah. Uh, I keep thinking back to the second episode where the the episode starts with her apparently locked up and needing to answer questions and that hasn't been revisited at all or given any mm-hmm. context i keep wondering how that's gonna fit in i probably not related to her father but you never know well never know. i i think i think actually there was a little hat tip to that line in her conversation because remember she has been she tasks Ben, who is of questionable loyalty as far as I'm concerned, she tasks him with tracking down Paul LeBlanc because she's pretty sure Paul is the one who took the hard drive. And so they're talking on the phone as she's driving to the cabin. Ben makes the point that, listen, what you're asking me to do is kind of, you know, at this point, we're kind of going illegal here. We're crossing over the line into illegal. And he says, we're going to be fugitives. And she blatantly, I mean, she says without hesitation, she says, we're all fugitives until this thing is put down until next's end it, it's going to make us all fugitives it's coming for all of us and the we're all fugitives line made my brain go screaming back to the start of the second episode and that op- cold open so i thought that was actually maybe a little nugget or a little seed uh, bending towards that storyline ah so so that that makes you think that they will get apprehended at some point 
and it'll just be like this colossal waste of time for them because they're locked up. And the one person above them, above Shay in the power structure that knew the deal is now dead. Yeah. Or conveniently or not conveniently for next anyway. Because she told him not to tell anybody. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm, Because he wanted to bring in, you know, all of the alphabet soup, the CIA, the NSA and everything. And Paul said, no, no, no. This is why we have to do it on our own, because next we'll get wind. That's going to end up backfiring them now because it it literally ended with the buck stopped at Mathis. And now Mathis is, you know, not around to, you know, back them up anymore. Now, now they really do look like fugitives without the protection of the law. And now next also has a mouthpiece in the form of very powerful Zava. You, you know, a multi-billion dollar corporation is going to have some sway with authorities and politicians. So you can see where the handwriting is already starting, already kind of starting to, you know, appear on the wall. Caroline, do you think we have enough background now, now on Shay's family? I mean, we learned that he was in prison for 20 years. We we know his accusation that she portrayed her own father, uh, the accusation that your mother was weak and that you were weak. Um, and he's going to teach you to be a man. Is, is all of that enough for you? Or do you want to know more about what Shay did to, quote unquote, portray her own father? I f- personally feel like I have enough backstory that, you know, she very likely either turned him in or obviously even in just like a general way, she went to the side of the law and he's on the side of not being with the law. And so I feel like if you just looked at it like that, I don't personally need the specifics of like, you know, did she narc on him? Did she testify against him? I don't need that. I think I understand that they took two different paths here. That's enough for me. How about you, Mike? I mean, I always want to know more, but I think it's enough. I think it's enough that we got here because same as you, I think my guess is filling in the blanks that she she's the one who turned him in kind of the same way CM turned in the Rock Ridge white supremacists, which I thought was when when Nasio says that line about you betrayed your father, it actually pinged a connection to me for me to why she may be uh, she may have been very amenable to CM and and being willing to have taken a risk on him because she maybe sees a bit of herself in him, you know, turning on your family because we know that CM literally has family with these white supremacists and yet turned on them and, and turned them over to ATF. So I thought that was actually a nice line to throw out just to maybe shed light on that other relationship that we've we've talked about on the show. Um, so I don't know. I, yeah, so I think I have enough. I always want more. I, I you know, I want a show to run for six years and tell me every fucking thing, but I think we have enough information to go on if we don't get any more on that backstory. How about you, Paul? No, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, just the the rough parts of it if we're only going to get 10 episodes here i think it's all got to move forward well the big i think the big question mark that we don't have an answer for yet is what does ethan do out in the car with that gun last last scene he had found his mother's gun you know kind of Chekhov's gun was found uh, is is he going to try and pull it out is he going to try and be a hero ty and shay are not only alive but they're conscious they're tied up they're kind of hogtied on their stomachs but they're alive and their son is now maybe in a position of her service weapon outside uh, what's your best guess Caroline, how does this resolve itself? Does does Ethan come out shooting like uh, Tex, or uh, does he end up going with Nasio? And there's a little bit of a kidnapping storyline now. Oof. I don't want him to end up going with Nasio because Oprah's always taught me you never go to the second location, and so I don't want him to. <laughs> um, but I think that he's too young for Oprah. 
Well, a good mother would have shown him some reruns, okay? <laughs> <laughs> or just passed on the knowledge we all learned from Mother Oprah, okay? All right, but listen, here's the thing. It makes more sense, given the little weird flash forward that we have of Shay being alone and being frantic at the at, at the police station, that, yeah, I mean, the kidnapping story's got to move forward because otherwise, where's Ty? Where's, you know, like, I think somehow, you know, yeah, I think I think we're heading off in the into the sunset with Nacio. I, I hope that he successfully uses that gun and it does, doesn't do that super cliche, holds the gun up and the adult simply reaches over and takes it out of his hand because that happens all the time. I think he's going to hide it and not tell Nacio about it. Interesting. I mean, that makes sense for plot because eventually Paul and Abby are going to show up in that cabin. Probably probably that's how maybe Shay and Ty get free. So it'll give them a weapon to work with as they go after Nacio. So I like that idea. There was one side note thing. Oh, the question about Ben, and I already kind of brought this up about Ben saying that we're all going to be fugitives and we've already seen kind of questionable loyalty out of him. Well, that's not true. We've seen him be loyal to the FBI and maybe not loyal to Shea and the team when he turned in CM so readily and it turned out CM was actually trying to help Shea at that time. Is Ben going to be the one on the team that cracks and and turns them over to the higher ups at the FBI? Or do we think we can count on Ben here? Or do we not have enough information yet? I think you're onto something. I think Ben is not ready to be a fugitive. He's not Gina or CM or Shay. He's not ready to maybe break or bend the laws a little bit for the greater good, I don't think. How about you, Caroline? Oh god, I don't think he I don't think that that's even really an option to, to just not get involved because he was being harassed as well. Remember he said I like changed my my email, I changed my password, I did this and it keeps finding me. So if he had not been affected, um, and they hadn't had that moment where Gina was like, my tires were slashed and all that stuff where they hadn't had that kind of like personal level. And he's like, whatever this is, it like knows where we are. Then right. I think he could have stayed away. I think he might have been someone who tried to run and hide just because of the way that he didn't seem to trust CM and he just didn't seem like fully a part of the team. But because it was personally affecting him, I do think he's actually going to to try to help everybody, which good on him if he becomes like the savior, because he was kind of the one we were looking at like, dude. The fact that he already has brought up before any shit has even come close to the fan at this point, he already brought up the fact that they're they're skating the line of becoming fugitives themselves makes me worry. Like he's the guy in the cockpit starting to sweat real heavy first before anyone else. You know, like guys, I, I we should turn back. You know, he's he's. I feel like he may be the weak link. Which you know, if Shay winds up in that in that interrogation room like we saw in the beginning of episode two. Something tells me Ben's fingerprints are going to be on that a little bit, sadly. So, all right. Well, stay tuned now. We have a great interview, Caroline and I, with Eve Harlow, who plays Jean on the show. We're going to talk about this episode. We're going to talk about her character. We're going to talk about her relationship with CM. It's going to be a great conversation. So I definitely hope you uh, stay with us and take a listen. Joining us now on Conversations with Eliza is Gina herself, Eva Harlow. We're so happy to have her on. Eva, uh, not Eva, your name's not Eva. Yeah, just say Eve. Eve. (laughs) Eve, That was very Wally of you. It was. Uh, See, I love that. We're already friends. So you're picking it up already. That that was an unintentional dad joke, that pun. (laughs) How are you doing, Eve? Thanks so much for coming on and talking to us tonight. I'm doing well. You know, I am partying hard. I've started, I've had a deck of tarot cards for like five years now because, you know, people were really into tarot cards for a while um, and have never opened them. And now, you know, with staying 
home a lot. I'm like, you know what? If not now, then when? <laughs> Tarot cards. <laughs> now, do you know how to use them or you're just kind of looking at them and being like, I think the daggers mean good stuff is going to happen. <laughs> well, that's the thing. No, I've never opened them or looked at them or anything. Um, I got them as a present and I don't know. I like stuff like that, but also like not anyway. Now I just have a lot of time on my hands. And so am, yeah, using the internet to tell me what the daggers mean. You know, They're we'll, not always bad. <laughs> we'll send you like cards against humanity. If you're looking for like like cards <laughs> to play with and stuff to do, we can send you games. We've got them. We'll share them with you. It's not a problem. Oh like, my God, I, lo I love card games. I love board games. And whenever I play cards against humanity, I end up laughing so hard, I cry every single time. It is, I've never played cards against humanity and not gotten tears of laughter. That's my experience also. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I know Caroline's a big fan of it also. So <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> I only play it when I'm drinking, though. That's the, For me, it's like a game you have to kind of be drinking about. It all makes it a little bit funnier. I, I, I don't know. That's just my thing. But I also may have a problem, though. So, you know, <laughs> it's possible. Before we get to next, obviously, we want to talk all about Gina. We're big Gina stands here. Before we get there, though, I want to go all the way back to the beginning because you kind of have like a fascinating life before you even become an actor. Tell us about like growing up. Maybe you were born in Moscow. You grew up in Israel. You moved to Canada. Like, how did all of that influence you getting to acting? I was, I was born in Moscow, but like neither one of my parents is Russian. They just met in Russia and had me there. So I was born there. And at three months old, was on a plane to Israel because um, my family's Jewish. And so we lived there for like seven years. But then my parents were like, we don't really want to live in a war-torn country because Israel is, was an amazing place to grow up. For me, like, I just, yeah, the first seven years of my life, I just remember being a really happy seven years. But at the end of the day, it's just like, it's a place of conflict. And so my parents actually um, applied to immigrate to either Canada or Australia and Canada just responded to our paperwork first. So we ended up immigrating to Vancouver. But I always think about that of like, what if I like Australia had said yes to us first? Then I would be like, I don't know, an Australian like beach babe. I don't know. It's just weird. You know, yeah. I, I, yeah, <laughs> um, that's different... a real sliding doors like brain exercise <laughs> to do. Yeah. I know. Right. I was like, I would have been speaking in an Australian accent and maybe it would have been like, I don't know, a doctor, not an actor. Anyway, but you have a didgeridoo. Yeah, so was... You could be like, here's my didgeridoo. <laughs> I'm going in the outback about walkabouts and stuff. You know, it'd be awesome. You'd yeah. Totally I'd have a kangaroo as a pet, a wombat. It'd be great. Uh, obviously, uh, all these things. <laughs> Not to stereotype or anything. Obviously, we know a lot of Australian people, and this is all yes. from research. So they all have kangaroos. They all have little baby roos. Yes. And yeah, for sure. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, but no, we, so we ended up in Vancouver. And I think there, my mom was actually in the Moscow Theater when she was young. And so when I was a teenager and I told her, I was like, hey, mom, I want to be an actor. She was very supportive of it and she was like totally cool you can like do that but I just can't afford to like pay for acting classes or anything so I got a job as a cashier at a grocery store that was my first job ever and I worked every single day after school and then on the weekends I had acting classes I think it made a huge difference that my mom was supportive of it because I think that a lot of people like have aspirations like creative aspirations but it's just it's not seen as very a probable career path that would lead you to any sort of success, you know, and obviously parents want their kids to be successful and stuff. But my mom was just supportive of me wanting to do whatever that I wanted to do. And that was why, like, you know, she brought us to Canada so her kids could pursue whatever they wanted to. So 
Yeah. Once once you had started doing acting and you're paying for your acting and you're invested because you're mm-hmm. the one actually earning the money to pay for them, were, mm-hmm. was it like, yeah, this actually is a thing that I'm into. It's not now just because my mom was an actress early on when she was younger. Like, At one point, did you become invested in it yourself, do you think? This might sound hella corny, but I was into it from the beginning. I remember this one. Okay, so it was... Do you want to hear a story? This is the story. We encourage (laughs) them, please. Yes. For sure. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, It was in grade seven. Uh, We had a talent... No, grade six. My bad. So grade six, we had a talent show. And I remember I did a scene with another girl from this Neil Simon play called Barefoot in the Park. And the scene is traditionally, it's like a girl and a guy. But I had my partner was a girl because it it works regardless of gender. And... I remember doing this scene in front of all the like parents and stuff and everybody just like laughing hysterically at all my lines. I was just like hitting every single one. Like I felt so fulfilled and so much joy at making people laugh. Like it almost, it, it was just, it was a high, you know, like it's to have that kind of power to make people laugh. No, sure. Um, yeah, it's a dick yeah, yeah, it, it totally is. And so I think that after that, and then grade seven, I got more invested in like the drama class and stuff and the, the scenes we had. And it just fed that feeling, you know, just like every single time I got in front of the class and like people laughed at what I was doing. I was just like, yes, like I love this feeling. But it's funny because then I got into high school and I actually almost failed grade 11 drama because because uh, of the like I had to go to like work after school every day. And like the drama teachers, they called my mom in and they were like, look, like Eve just isn't invested. Like she's not, you know, staying after school school with the other kids and stuff and basically because I was too much of an outsider in the drama class so it was like oh, it was hilarious but like guess who's laughing now guys that's it she does the cabbage patch at her microphone you guys, you guys can't see it but she's doing a very dorky dance it's fantastic oh uh, hell yeah I love it. I love it. um but yeah, I think it was always that feeling. And also, I think that like as a kid, I didn't have a lot of friends at all. Like I found main source of comfort from movies and, you know, remember watching like Edward Scissorhands and I was like, oh, I'm Edward, you know, <laughs> like I just oh like God. I felt such oh a <laughs> Who's your Winona? I That's guess, what I, I want to know now. <laughs> like, who is oh, Winona? right. <laughs> I, Winona wasn't like she, I guess she's a part of it, and stuff, but it was more like the relation <laughs> to that, like sure, the no, outsider, yeah. you know, and like that was and to see. I also I think it's because I kind of look like Edward Scissorhands. My hair is kind of crazy all the time. You know, what? So, um, <laughs> you, you need a different different mirror eve <laughs> I, I don't think your mirror looks like other people's mirrors if that's what you're seeing oh, i just have really crazy hair is all uh, listen in, in corona times everyone's got crazy hair so yeah. right before you got on i actually told mike that his hair looked like a cockatiel so yeah. you're good you're totally good I am living it's corona like, times i am like the dad of every anime character right now that's what my hair looks like just or like johnny bravo like, or yeah. jimmy neutron like but, that real big swoop yeah just a, a 15 <laughs> different directions it's all going out it may be jagged you may cut yourself on the hair it's yeah it's horrible it's horrible you are You're experimenting with hairstyles i support this i think if anything this has given people an opportunity to experiment with hair because nobody's seeing them so everyone's like dyeing their hair colors all weird and like you know different facial hair and stuff i i support it all I love your experimental ways. (laughs) Caroline is also fully on board with experimental hair. 
So. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I was very encouraging of this. But now it's gotten into this cocktail phase. And I was like, wow, I didn't know it was going to do this. Like, it, it, now, it now, has now been she's like a, like, pump a the science brakes, experiment. Buddy, pump the <laughs> it's been a science experiment, to say the least. Were you encouraging it so that you can make fun of him later? But no. Um, <laughs> I hadn't planned it out that far, but but now I can see where this was going. She's playing oh, chess, like 3D chess. I'm over here with checkers trying to figure out how the pieces move. He doesn't even know. I don't even know. I want to talk about your roles in acting here because you have been in Juno and our listeners might know you from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., maybe the 100. And I really want to know what drew you to next and this specific role of Gina. Like what pulled you into this one? So I'm, as you may have uh, picked up on, I'm not that good at technology considering I didn't realize I was on mute at the beginning of this conversation. Um, but I we actually have heard really... differently about you. We have heard very like differently very about differently very about, differently about you from several different people. So. <laughs> no, I, but the thing is, I, this is where I was going. I, I really am very interested in artificial intelligence and also how technology has affected humanity in the time that we have had it around, you know? And I mean, we've had technology, that word can be used, you know, I mean, the clock was a sort of technology time, you know, the the idea of it and the introduction of it into the world and stuff. But I think that's what it is. So I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm a huge podcast junkie to the point where like, I start most of my sentences with on this podcast I listen to. Um, so for a long time, there've been just like, there have been a few podcasts that I really like and people who I think are really smart and they've been talking about the threat of artificial intelligence and stuff. And so when I read the pilot for Next, what I was really impressed by was its accuracy, that it was introducing this threat without actually being very hyperbolic like it's just it's something that is out in the world right now that people are talking about people that are you know work with ai and like all of the technologies that are being presented in the the, that were presented in the script and then we continue to see throughout the season it's not something that's made up right it's all very much founded in reality and so i think it's you know when you look at something like terminator and it's like oh my god it's so far in the future like we're not anywhere near that like everything that's in next we are very close to it right and it's like there's this guy his name is nick bostrom he wrote this book called super intelligence and and he talks about ai as this like existential threat to our existence and that it's like it's this technology that if we pull it like it's, it's this like ball of threat and let's say everything that humans have created like every new invention it's a ball right and all these balls are in this big vase and we're reaching in and we're taking out all these bombs the problem is is that you take one of these balls and you that is so like it's you can't put it back in like nuclear bombs like that's one of the things people invented it we took it out of the vase now we have to deal with it and like it's going to destroy all of us and so the same thing with ai is like we take it out of the vase it can destroy all of us, right? But we're not even thinking about that because we're so excited about the progress. And we're like, look at all the good it can do. But also like every single thing that's coming out is research of like how technology is influencing our brains and people and our ability to communicate with one another and get along and stuff. Like it's all negative for the most part, you know? So it's, oh my God, I can go on for so long about this. I'm going on a rant. I know, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love it. I'm like, I'm sitting here like, I'm a little bit concerned. What should I be thinking? Like you're making me (laughs) ponder this a lot. Recently, there was a, a Netflix documentary that came out called uh, The Social Dilemma. Oh, uh, we're familiar. And 
Yeah. Okay. So it's like that stuff, everything that they're talking about, like, I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, this is what I've been talking about and concerned about for years. Cause it's like those people have been talking on all these podcasts about all this stuff, you know? And so I am actually really glad that that doc came out. Cause I think it made people more aware anyway. So that is what I loved about the script. And that's what got <laughs> me excited about the project. And also I could finally be like, yes, there's a reason I was listening to all those hours of podcasts. This is not just for no reason. <laughs> Tax write-off. This all of a sudden became a business expense. Yes. Yeah, totally. Love it. Love it. Do you feel like it's um, yeah. totally made you more aware of like all the tech around us? Because I feel like once we were actually watching the show and they would like zoom in on like every place there was a camera or every place it was like the medical equipment, all that stuff. I was like, I am actually getting a little anxious about how much technology is around us. Like, do you find that seeping into your real life? I mean, I'm one of those people, like I've always been aware of it. Like my best friend and I, we have, we, we did, we started doing this thing. This was a few years back and he actually, he has a flip phone and he's never switched over to a smartphone. He's always had a flip phone and he's like someone who's, he's, you know, two years older than I, he's also an actor and like, it's all, it's, it's actually for the, if anyone who's listening is a fan of the hundred, Chris Larkin, who plays Monty or played Monty on the show, um, he has a flip phone and we made a deal a couple of years back is that whenever we're hanging out, neither one of us can look at our phones. Like, it's just, it's not a thing. Like we, when we're hanging out, it's just us hanging out, being friends. And like the phone has nothing to do with it. Cause look at it, like, think of it this way. You know, one of you, you're out to get lunch or whatever. Somebody goes to the bathroom. The other person checks their phone. Let's say you got a text message from your mom, a friend, your boss, whatever it is. All of a sudden you're not paying attention or thinking about what you were just talking about with your friend, you're thinking about your mom, your friend, your boss. It derails your train of thought. It takes you away from the ability to like think deeper. And it's just so very obvious. It's the most obvious example. And it's, yeah. So I think I've just always been very much aware of technology and its effect on the way that I think and trying to engage with it as the least amount that I can, honestly. That's such an old soul question and probably not representative of your kind of generation. I mean, you 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 are probably of the generation that grew up with phones in their hands, really. Do you find like your friends look at you like you're like a giant weirdo because you do not like run to tech and, you know, wallow in it? No, because I think that my friends know that I'm a weirdo in general. (laughs) I didn't say you were a weirdo. I said your friends look at you like you're a weirdo. No, no. I I think it just, look, I'm also somebody who really likes like writing postcards to friends, you know, like I'm very much like I like real things that you can touch and see. And like, I, I am a fan of the real world, I guess, and kind of always have been, you know? And also, I I should clarify, like, I don't think technology is bad, right? I think there's tons of things about it that are great. It's just what concerns me is how humans have used it. And I think that historically, when you look at how people have grown accustomed to things, we just usually take things for granted and usually affect us 
badly. So I think we should just need to be more aware of it. Let, let's drill down a little bit more on, on your prep for the role, because you already kind of mentioned how you have this new business expense of all the podcasts you were already listening to. And it, it kind of <laughs> it kind of by accident prepared you for the show and the role of Gina. Mm -hmm. But did you actually end up once you had the job and you saw a script and you were talked to Manny about the character? Did you actually go and do any kind of research, drill down or prep for all the computer lingo that you're having to talk about and use? Or is it I, there are words on the script and I just kind of say the words and I have no idea what I'm talking about i think what it is i i went back and i re-listened to stuff in a different way you know so before i was like i was listening out of pure curiosity and then i went back and like listened to it with a new way of looking at it it's kind of like uh so like back when i went was in university i'd read like the brothers kamarazov which is like a dostoevsky novel just for my own fun kind of thing. And then I took a class in existentialism and they were like, oh, this is actually the Brothers Kamarazov is one of the greatest like existential novels. So all of a sudden I was reading it with a new angle, you know, being like, oh, this is a philosophy, not just a story to consume, you know? So it's, it was the same kind of thing of like listening to these podcasts initially being like, well, this is kind of cool. Well, this is kind of crazy. How does it affect my life? And all of a sudden and going back and looking at it, it's like, oh, this is a very real threat. How do I fight it? How, like, what would happen if this was my day-to-day -day thing, you know, that I was, like, tasked to fight? Maybe if you had lived in Australia, you could have been an FBI agent in a cyber task force, you know, or whatever exactly. the Australian version of that is. You know, maybe there is a parallel life where you actually are a Gina in Australia with an accent. Exactly. Do you know how excited I was about my FBI badge? I took a picture of it and sent it to my mom. I was like, look, mom, I'm an FBI agent in the fake world. It was very exciting. I love that. I love that. <laughs> I love that too. She, <laughs> I kind of want to, she's what? like pushing ahead at Starbucks. She's like, FBI, FBI here. I, I, I need my espresso. Oh my Come on. Come on. I am super excited about Gina and, and who she is as a character. I feel like we're just really starting to get to know her. Tell us how you see Gina. I see her as someone who very strong willed, like knows what is wrong and what is right and almost with like no in between I think which is why she's so ferocious when it comes to engaging with CM you know because mm -hmm. it's just like there's almost like in her world is like there's no I, I think like a lack of understanding of like how one could engage in any of the activities that he engaged with you know when it's just like there's just her set of principles and morals and ethics are so right and correct. So I think as someone who has never been like uncomfortable with being liberal and maybe like not a part of the gang, you know, if it comes to standing up for what you believe in, she's not uncomfortable with that even if there's no one by her side, you know? And I think that comes off. And that was actually one of our one of my questions thinking about Gina was in relation to CM, since almost like their first interaction, she's always kind of seemed repulsed by him, but also mm -hmm. curious about him, too. You know, and and I was curious, and you do so much of that with your body language, not only some of your cutting words, uh, mm -hmm. but so I was curious how much of that is you bringing that to the character versus it was like written on the page, like you were going to have this kind of push and pull relationship with him. Honestly, I think it, it also, like, comes along with, like, I love Mike. Like, Mike Mosley, like, it's, it's, like, as an actor and as a person, like, he's just, like, 
fucking incredible. It, it's honestly, it's so funny because even, wait, can I, yeah, in episode five, like when we're in the hospital, mm-hmm. man, we, it's not like I've seen, yeah, anyway, the, the episode, he would like add in these lines after like he just ad libs all the time and he's so funny like he just made me laugh the entire time we were working together um he's also like amazing at piano and like it's just like he's just very talented smart dude and so i think that every actor brings a part of themselves to the character and I think that if part of the reason why, if like you're getting the fact that like Gina is not just repulsed, but like curious about CM, it's also because it's like Mike and like is bringing a sliver of himself to CM. And I think that if maybe it had been another actor who had played him maybe harsher and with more, you know, then I then you wouldn't see that. Then you, it would just be like, no, fuck you. We have nothing in common, you know? So it's like, I almost like, I don't, I can't be like, oh, that was just my choice or that was just in the words. I think it's just like, it's chemistry between actors and characters. Right. He's almost like an enigma for her. Almost like, you know, like a puzzle yes. to be figured out. Yeah. Cause it's like, he's a piece of shit for what he did, but also like there's something underneath that, that is more. So I can't just write him off, you know? Talk to us more about this arc that you have going right here. Because over the last two episodes, like I feel like you've had so many key scenes with him lately that it feels like you guys are having this huge relationship shift that mm. I feel like people organically go to like, oh, is this going to become romantic? You know, is this going to be, you know, just like she right now is playing this guardian angel kind of figure with him? You know, where do you see this relationship sort of going here? Without well, being too spoilery. I know. I'm yeah, like, just wait, where you could see it going <laughs> as of right now, because we've only had the two episodes. We've only had the two, yeah. but she's like, it's like you can almost see the cogs in her head, you know, like moving on, on like him. Like yeah, there is a yeah. huge shift. So we're just all kind of feeling that. We've talked a lot about it in this podcast about what do we think exactly is going on with them? Like, what what is this? I think what it is, it's kind of like they're in a situation where they have to work together. Right. And I think that it's also like not to compare it to like modern day America slash the world. But I think that oftentimes human beings are put in the like us versus them. Like they are the other. They are evil. And, you know, including like Gina being like, yes, yeah, CM is a piece of shit. But the truth is, is like, no, he's there. We both started off as human beings. Right. Like and something happened in his life and something happened in my life that made me a certain way and that made him a certain way. It's easy to write people off and we can't do that if we're to accomplish anything. You know, when you are fighting something that is much more bigger, when you are fighting something that is endangering all of society, whether it's artificial intelligence or climate change, you know, it's like, we're not going to beat it by being like, that person is just a jerk. They don't know what they're talking about. I'm going to do it on my own. Like that doesn't, or you're just not going to, because the, the jerk probably has information that you need and you have information that the jerk needs. And you know how we're going <laughs> to beat the enemy is by working together. And right. I know that Ta- sounds corny, but no, it's no. true. Yeah, it's no, you have to table your shit. And, it's our you know, tolerance lesson. Yeah. You have to focus on the, yeah. thing, right? the, the mutual thing in front of you instead of your yeah, own. Yeah. Like yes. what, what do we have in common instead of what do we, you know, what do we disagree on? But what, what are, where's our common ground? You have a, in this, yeah. epi- in this episode, you have a great look. You're going through his wallet, which, you know, awesome. Uh, while he's unconscious <laughs> and he has the playing card and then underneath it, he's got the picture of presumably 
supposedly the son that we've now heard about, but we haven't seen. And your eyes go so wide, like, what the actual fuck? Like, <laughs> what is happening here? So it is interesting to watch your care, watch Gina learn about CM and realize that maybe it's not all not it's not shit all the way down. Well, because it's so easy to dehumanize people. Right. And I think we constantly do that with generalizations and like and, and then if you take a moment to talk to someone, I mean, most people at the end of the day just want love and want their loved ones to be safe. You know, like it's just that's what it is. But it's all of that is shrouded by so much, all these layers of just garbage that once you get rid of it, once you shift through it, it's just a human being underneath it all, you know? Yeah. And TV writing wise, also, it's the obvious trope is just to kind of be one dimensional and he's a piece of shit and we, we can all not like him a lot. But I, I think yeah. I think the show has done a good job of making everyone a little bit of shade of gray and, and make you wonder what about this person? There's something about this person that seems redeemable. So let's go figure out what it is. Yeah. And also it feels a lot like the characters are allowed to have flaws that don't have to define them. It can be something that they're challenged by and something that they're trying to work with, whether it's their past, whether it's their family members, as with Shay we had in this episode. But, you know, mm -hmm. things are going on around them that they're having to kind of work through. And that feels so much more realistic than just like, this is the character and this is what they do. And they're either good or bad. Because nobody's like that. You know? Right? right. Like, <laughs> we are all nuanced beings, you know, and we all have like these like deep, dark secrets and we all like cry when we watch a sad commercial or whatever, you know, <laughs> like it's just, it's just, we all have parents. We all like, there's, there's just this, there is something that connects us all and that makes us, yeah, like this kernel of humanity and that gives us like, yeah, layers and stuff. I totally agree with you. There is no just like good and bad and anybody who lives in that framework, I, I just think it's, it's a dangerous way to go about the world and it's a less interesting way to go about the world. For sure, for sure. Very and good and show. You, you never know what you miss out on, you know, if you just yeah. if you act that way. So we were, you know, beyond bummed about Fox's decision to not renew the show after the season one runs. And not in a small part because there are great characters on the show that we want to know more about. Gina, especially. We're, we're big Gina <laughs> fans. There are a lot of Gina fans out there. Are we going <laughs> to, before the end of the season, are we going to learn any more about her that you can say? Because you said it, you've hinted at this already, that there's a reason why Gina is the way she is and reacts to people like CM the way she acts and her moral code that she seems to live by. Is, is there any chance we're going to dig into that a little bit before the series runs out? Unfortunately, no, but there is some cool, very cool stuff coming up for Gina. So I will say that. Ooh. So it's not, you're, you're not going to get the background stuff as much, but like there's cool stuff. Maybe, <laughs> That's maybe, all I can say. Uh, I, 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 I love that tease. That's a great tease. But maybe afewards we'll have you and Manny Cotto on and we can do some headcanon brainstorming about of Gina's backstory. We'll do, like, <laughs> we'll do some like creative writing here on air or something like that. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> you know he knows. Oh you know he knows. Yeah. <laughs> we had to make up some ideas of who she was and what her background was. Right. Do you feel yeah. like that you, that you share qualities with Gina or is this, is you know, like you said with, with Mike, like Moosley, that you're, you're bringing yourself to the role every time. But for your own self, are there things that there's traits or characteristics that you feel like this is very me. This is actually Eve on the screen or that you're bringing bringing Gina home with you? Oh, yeah. I mean, 100%. <laughs> you know, just like in terms of being a, a little bit like more just like liberal and left leaning, like that is very much 
me, <laughs> you know? Um, and I, uh, yeah. It's really fun when you have a character where you're kind of like, well, this is just me. I mean, it's also fun when you have the total opposite where you're like, okay, I have to like really reach to like access this person. But this one just felt very true to who I am, you know, um, in terms of, again, like values and stuff. How do you feel like you're totally different from Gina? Because I like I love the way Gina dresses. I love her style. I love everything going on with the character. Is that something that would you look the same on the street as Gina does or no? What's uh, different things oh, about yeah. you? Well, it was okay. So the nail polish, being different colored nails, that was my idea. And also the blue eyeliner, that was also my idea. The hairstyle, my idea. <laughs> I, just, I think it was like, yeah, like it was, <laughs> totally, it was just there. like, huge, yeah, a little bit. And what's really cool is like, so I'm wearing a Radiolab t shirt in the very first episode. That's my Radiolab t shirt. <laughs> wow this really is you up on there huh (laughs) yeah but i think what's cool is when you're working with a creative team that is allows you that freedom because it's it's more like it was me like hey can i do this and in response i got like uh yeah hell yeah you can you know so it's like that was there was a lot of like freedom in that and there's a lot of fun when you're being allowed to create this character it's like sure there are parts of her that are me but also like again being good at technology that's not something that like I'm not good at technology I'm interested in it I I am very fascinated by it all but like if something happens to my computer I panic (laughs) you know it's like I can't my my younger sister's boyfriend is a computer engineer and the amount of like texts that he gets being like hey what do I do and he's like have you tried powering it on and off and then I'll do that I'm like oh yeah (laughs) I right Right. (laughs) you know and we know Um, now like the mute button your nemesis so you know (laughs) yes 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 the mute button oh god (laughs) guys I'll 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 never live that down It's just us that know it. And, you know, everyone that listens out. We kept it off air, but we didn't. So there you go. You're welcome. Uh, uh, we, we ask everyone who comes on and we we talk it about we talk about it amongst ourselves when we're doing the podcast but everyone guess what we have on we talk about it like your smart devices do you have them are you using alexas are you using siri and you know have they have you like kind of like thought about like putting them in a the trash at this point have they started acting funny since the show you know started oh no like fuck no i've never had alexa i've never had siri i whenever it's you know the computer the max or apple is always like do you want to like sync all of your devices together I always select no I like I have an external hard drive where I keep all of my pictures and videos and all that stuff so that I delete I I always delete them off of my phone so that I don't have like 5,000 pictures it's all on an external hard drive no Chris Evans incidences there will be no Chris Evans in for you is that what you're saying no no Yeah, but it's like, but again, like that was just me before. It's interesting because it's like, I guess some people would be like, oh, you're such a Luddite. But no, like I'm not, again, I'm not scared of technology as much as like I'm scared of the way that people engage with it. I like like that you know people who are using the word Luddite in conversation. I think that's impressive. (laughs) So, yeah. That's what happens, kids, when you put your phone down and read a book. You learn words like that. <laughs> That's so funny. Are you are you do you like a physical book in your hand or do you actually read on your screen? No, I hate ebooks. I hate them, and I know me like, the, too. The environment, but I, yeah, I just I can't. I, I I also like I really love my collection of books. So the way that I work is I'll so I really like the library. So I'll get a book from the library, and if I really like it, 
then I'll go and like purchase the actual book so that I could add it to my collection. If you ever think you were born in the wrong century or, or, or not century, but like <laughs> wrong, born in the wrong like decade. Oh yes. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> like, Look at I, us peeling back the layers on Eve. I like sock <laughs> and I, I like going to the malt shop and having a fountain soda. It's fantastic. Oh my gosh! Yeah, pretty okay. much. <laughs> oh gosh! So, Eve, we have to give our listeners more about working on the set. They want to know more about how you guys all interact and any like behind the scenes little stories or little favorite moments or anything that you guys have going on. Okay, I should just say that, like, the, the cast were all, like, friends, which is so... Okay, so when we shot the pilot, I was like, okay, there is no way that everybody on this cast is this cool and that we're going to, like, remain friends and stuff. But we did. And in the time that we, like, went from, like, the pilot to actually shooting the series, like, I wouldn't hang out with, like, Fernanda in Los Angeles all the time. And I guess, like, the most fun story is that so Fernanda's husband, uh, Josh, is in a metal band, like a hard metal band. I don't know if you guys already knew this, but so when we were filming in Chicago, they played a show and uh, we all went to the show. And, like, I go to live music a lot, but I've never been to, like, a hard metal band. So I went and, like, moshed a bit and it was really fun. But, like, Jason was there and he'd never gone to, like, a show like that. And, like, and Aaron and Mike. And we were all kind of, it was a very, like, we were like, oh, damn, everyone here is so cool. And, like, yeah. That's so, <laughs> so it's yeah, so much we, fun that you guys did that, though. Gosh. Yeah. I was, I but was, we all... I, I, no, I, I was just telling my kid about the last time I was in a mosh pit. He was like, well, he asked me, he was like, what is a mosh pit? I heard that word. And I said, sit down. Let me tell you a story about your father when he was younger and bruising. And, uh, and, and there it was. I was like, I was ro- I was uh, uh, still Getty from the Golden Girls. You know, like, picture it. Sicily, 1921. It was a corn concert. They were touring with the largest bass system in history. And your father was smashing bodies in a mosh pit. So it was, uh, yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. We're at that. Those, but like we would hang out all the time. And like, I, I just, yeah, it's just like a really good group of people. Like, I, I'm sure you've gotten that from like talking to them, but it, it's, I, not to be like, I feel so blessed and grateful, but like, legit, I feel so <laughs> yeah, blessed okay. and so grateful yeah. to like have been around these group of people who are so, like, not only are they good humans, they're also like super talented. Like, again, like when you show up on set and, you know, somebody, um, Aaron and I had some stuff that it's it's later on and I remember we were filming it's like one in the morning and we like you know we cut done and we both walked away and we were like well we don't know if that's what they wanted but like fuck that felt good you know we kind of just like high-fived each other and it's just <laughs> like it's just walking away being really like proud of your work and it's not just like your work but because you're like playing off of what the other person is giving you and this, so I guess that's what I was saying before about Mike too is like when he's giving you stuff and you're like wow this is like really cool and like really unexpected and not a, it's just it's really fun you know and then in terms of like Fernanda, she like uh, volunteers at this orphanage in Tijuana. And I'm like, man, that's really fucking cool. And like, I went down to the orphanage with her and I'm like, this person's like a really like good human being. And like, they make you want to be better people. And so it's like, not only are you getting like fulfilled on an artistic and like creative level, but you're also being fulfilled as like a human. And all. it's just, it's, it's amazing. So it's, I, I mean, look, definitely like, yeah, it would have been great to go for a season two, but now I have these people in my life forever. And how cool is that? 
I, I, my brain it's amazing. is amazing. My brain is slow to catch up, but I, I started laughing at myself just now on mute, thinking about Jason in a mosh pit. Just the idea of Ted <laughs> in a mosh pit. It, like, it took me a second to like, like, ramp up my brain. I was like, oh shit, that's hysterical. Like I will let you, Jason though, is like an adrenaline junkie. He like loves like skydiving. He before we started like shooting, he went like bungee jumping and stuff. Like he that man is wild. <laughs> I, I'm sure the insurance people love hearing that story. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no. <laughs> so, so like, he's not allowed to base jump. Jesus Christ, we've told him. He's wearing yeah, like his he... Motorhead t-shirt he got at a show. That's really funny. That's really funny. Uh, yeah. We're wrapping up here. You've been so gracious with your time. We've been going for quite a while now. But before we go, what's one thing that people don't know about Eve Harlow that they absolutely should know about you? Oh my gosh! I don't know. <laughs> it got so quiet. I thought your I thought you dropped. I thought I thought so too. <laughs> I like, was like, oh my like, god, you scared like, her right <laughs> off. <laughs> I was gonna see like, well, that was our interview with Eve Harlow. Thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> I don't. I feel like Eve, you have an amazing name. Is that something like? Was this your your given name? I think Eve Harlow is a fantastic. It's a really name. great name. Yeah, yeah, no, that's like, it's my legal name and stuff, but it's, I'm just, I'm trying to, I'm honestly like trying, I'm like, the, the, the something that's like, uh, that people, like, that English was my third language and like, hey, if I can do it, so can you. I don't know. What are the other two languages? <laughs> uh, Russian and Hebrew. That's, so, that's boy, nothing Mike. to sneeze at. I mean, that's not, <laughs> it's not like you learned Spanish and Italian, which are basically the same language. No, but it's like, but I mean, like that kind of, I feel like comes with the territory because of like, I, again, like my childhood and stuff like that. But I'm trying to think of something that's like totally like, I, I like an unknown thing. I don't know. I, I really, I, I like pickling vegetables. I don't know. That's fucking weird. <laughs> um, I, that's a weird, <laughs> I just... I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, definitely, definitely more interesting than speaking two languages for sure. Two I just couldn't think of anything. I'm like, what is something that I like an activity that I do? Like, I like, I okay. So something that I do a lot when I'm in Los Angeles, I'll like bake for my friends and then I'll bike around the city, like dropping off baked goods and stuff. Like that's, that's. Oh it's, my yeah. goodness. You're like the cutest little biker ever then. Dropping off pickled and baked goods. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be like, that's it. Eve Harlow over there with her little basket. <laughs> I do have I a basket on my bike. It's great. I know you do, Eve. I can see it with my mind's eye. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> wearing your little gingham dress as you're driving, like, bicycling you're like down the streets of LA. Yeah. <laughs> and always with a helmet, because, guys, safety first. Definitely. I mean, of obviously. course, obviously. But the, this, this has been a very special episode of Conversations <laughs> on the Lines of Safety with oh, Eve. Man. Yeah, exactly. But, hey, hey you, are you looking to do a podcast? You want to do a podcast, Safety with Eve? Or are you there you go. <laughs> Talk about how to be safe in the world. I don't know. Yes. I'm, I honestly, I'm such a clumsy person that I, I like. I need to. I need the helmet. My younger sister makes jokes that I should wear the helmet in just like day to day life because I just get hurt. <laughs> So easily. Um, so oh, I, I don't know if I would be the best host for a safety podcast, is I guess what I'm trying to say. Well, more well, like maybe like, like a super Dave approach where you actually get yeah. into accidents and then we learn a lesson from it. Or like a cautionary oh. tale situation yeah. where you're like, did you yeah. think you could walk downstairs? No, be safe. Yeah. <laughs> no, honestly, you joke. I once broke my hand when I slipped and fell out of my bathtub. I oh, broke Eve. my hand. 
I had a cat. <laughs> Were you trying to play Aww. Twister at the same time? Was no, it like a no? I just like I just slipped and fell. <laughs> Yeah, this so is what I'm saying. I'm not the best. She footwork. She was getting into it. <laughs> so at the end of that, at the end of that and episode, then? it would be like the moral story of kids is that you should always have like a slip pad, you know, and make sure you have one in, in and out <laughs> yeah, of your bathtub. But, but Eve is from another time, so she'd have those like daisy ones, like in the bottom, right? Like those daisy stickum things that they put in the bottom. Yeah, she's from like another time. Yeah. That's adorable, Eve. Yeah. You could like sell those then, Eve Harlow's stick'em safety little pads for your for your bath. As seen on you TV. You can take that and run. You go with that. This is your Christmas gift to all. You know what? I think that has a ring to it. I think it has potential. I see it. I see it being a great success. Who wouldn't want that in their bathtub? And it's just a lesson for all, all right. to be learned. You all don't need us. to wait until you're 80 years old to get them. I know. You can be in your safety 20s first. and break your hand. Safety first. <laughs> yeah. in your bathtub. Do you need to freshen up before you oh, head to boy. the library? You know, you know, you have your safety pads in your, you know, your daisy safety pads in your shower. It sells itself. And you know what? Fun fact that even, even during the pandemic, the library is open. Well, I, the one in L.A. was open, so you could still order books from it and stuff. So if, if anyone's listening and curious about their local library, you can still get stuff like and stay home and read. And it's great. That's my PSA, guys. Eve, one of my one of my favorite things to do when I'm in like any small town is to join their friends of the library. Like I'll pay the membership. I like I'll go in the library, pay the membership, and like I'm like a voting member of like several small town libraries. <laughs> like I was like I just had to like send in my little like proxy vote that like we are getting a bench outside that tiny town's <laughs> little thing because I just pay my membership because I just think it's like the most fun thing to like be a part of it. <laughs> It's true. That's I voted so for the great. bench. It's super fun. <laughs> Support also your libraries, people. With, like the old white-haired ladies at those small towns, and like Caroline <laughs> right. gets on her Zoom call and be like, "Maisie, no one gives a shit about you and your arthritis." The, the never. Needs a bench. I'd be the opposite, opposite day to that. I'd be like, "Maisie needs a bench. We have, we will have two. That's what I'm like. She needs hey, new tennis that's... balls for her walker. We have to get Maisie <laughs> tennis balls." That stuff's serious, guys, okay? I just recently listened to a podcast about how they were saying that the woman who, like, was in charge of children's literature at, at in New York City, she really hated Goodnight Moon. So it didn't make the, like, <gasps> top 10 list of, like, yeah, it's a really fascinating. It's, I think it was This American Life. But they were talking about it, and it's how it was, like, super controversial that this woman who, like, <laughs> she she just did not like Goodnight Moon and everything that it stood for, even though it's, like, this really, like, important book in children's literature. So, you know. Those so kinds so of maybe people, there are some people who are pieces of shit and one-dimensional and don't deserve to, you know. <laughs> Be given a chance. Do you know that they make just like because this like really wraps this up? They have like Goodnight yeah. iPhone. Have you seen that book? Oh, it's no, like Goodnight iPhone. What? Yeah. No, we have it. Like it's really funny. No. It's a play on Goodnight Moon, but it's like it's like if you mix Next and Goodnight Moon together, it's like Goodnight <laughs> iPad, Goodnight Alexa. Like it says this whole thing. Yeah. Look at that. Oh Look at us God. wrapping this up in a neat package oh. for you. Oh my God, Ali, <laughs> Ali, if you're still there, can we get like a promotional thing where the cast of Next does like a Goodnight Moon reading? But to like good night, the good night, good night iPad, technology. like good, good night, night Alexa. IPad. Yeah, y'all should do that as a promo. Yes, do it. <laughs> good, good night, next listening in every room. Yeah. Yes, yes. 
it can be oh done. Yes, I love That's it. So crazy. I'm totally Googling this, guys. <laughs> Look at that. Uh, well, I think we are just about done. We've taken up literally an hour of your time here, Eve. Thank you uh, so much okay. for coming on and talking with us. Oh, yeah, no problem. That was really fun. <laughs> you have been a blast. We had a great time with you. <laughs> yeah, you have been a blast. And uh, for everyone else listening, if you have your thoughts, find Eve on Twitter. Do you happen to know your Twitter handle, Eve? Um, I think it's just my name. It's just at Eve Harlow. I could probably yeah, yeah, we'll, I'm we'll pretty put sure that in the show notes. Name. I think that's right, though. So you go reach out okay. to Eve and give her book recommendations. She's looking for them, apparently. So always and podcast recommendations, too. So, yes, yes, I love it. <laughs> love it. Tech podcast pod and old world book. Yes, yes. You should listen to all of the pod clubhouse podcasts. You can listen to Fernanda and listen to Manny and everyone on our podcast. Hear all the great things Bye. they have to say about next. Eve, thank you so much for joining us. No problem. Thank you, guys. I just want to say a big thank you to Eve Harlow for making the time to talk with us. Uh, she was a wonderful guest, and uh, it was fun. This was another great episode. Uh, just another reminder that I'm sad that Fox didn't give it a longer leash. And uh, we're officially at the halfway point now, guys. What do you think? What, what What's a big thing you're looking forward to get asked or answered next week, Caroline? You know, this was an episode setting up for like a chase scene. And so I don't know that I exactly have a question because I feel like with Abby and Paul on the run, Nacio and Ethan going to be on the run. I actually am expecting a lot of action in this next episode, not necessarily answers, but a lot of like heart thumping movement kind of thing. Not heavy dialogue as much as like panic, a lot of panic going on everywhere. That's kind of what I'm expecting. How about you, Paul? I need Paul to tell Abby what's wrong. I need him to do it in the next episode. But I think you're right, Caroline. I think Ted is going to do what he can to make things hard for our heroes. I think the fugitive aspect is going to turn up some nasty aspects being on the run. I think Caroline's right. I think it's going to be things are and they're going to want to go and find Ethan right away. So like the franticness, the, 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 the mission fear. is going to be given a second place for yeah. for our heroes here. And Paul's not going to be able to deal with that. I want Paul to tell Abby also, because I think Abby will be a force to help him tell what's real and what's not. You know, in, in a way, she'll be able to devote resources to Paul that the others can't because of everything else that's going on. You know, so I'd like I'd like for Paul to become a little bit more of a reliable narrator for us because I want to see his big brain in action. You know, I don't want to see him succumb to this to this disease before he's able to bring his full big brain to bear against next because i think for me that's the matchup for me it's it's this genius mind versus this unleashed ai superpower and, and that's that's the power of wills i want to watch that's the chess match i want to watch at the end i think we need abby to be there for paul to be able to tell him what's real and what's not so that paul can actually focus on trying to bring down next because I think he's the only one who can in the end. I think that's the chess match that this is all building to. You know, Paul's, de you know, uh, uh, degrading brain, still smarter than everyone else in the room combined versus this unleashed superpower, uh, AI superpower. So that's, uh, yeah, I need him to tell her also. But I want to see what happens with Ty and Shay and Ethan and Nacio. I'm, I'm kind of invested in this little Salazar family. I like them. So I want them to wrap it up and and get onto the next hurdle. 
<laughs> That's a pun. Next. I made a pun. Took a dad to hear a dad joke. Well, I think that brings us to the end of another episode. I'm Caroline. And I'm Paul. And I'm still Mike. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Eliza, the next podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Conversations with Eliza on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's available everywhere. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.